Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Linda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is Returning Evil for Good, the Proverbs 17.13 Curse. Let's start with reading Proverbs 17.13. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. Have you ever gone all out helping someone who needed your help and treated them like family and gave to them things they needed and comforted them emotionally only to have them turn on you like Judas turned on Jesus for no reason whatsoever? I think we all know at least one person who returned evil to us for the good we did to them. I want to talk to you today about how the Lord repays someone who does that. I've watched this verse play out so many times over the years that I realize it is an absolute spiritual law, and it is a very serious one, and I think a lot of people don't know about it. And you'll see it a lot, too, I think, in the times coming. Whenever someone returns evil for good, it brings a curse of evil destruction down on the life of that person that cannot be removed no matter how intensely they repent. I'm going to show you that in the Bible. So let's start with some illustrations in the Bible of this curse. One story is the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, starting in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Now, I want you to notice there in verse 8, they were not arguing. Abel was not yelling at Cain or doing anything wrong. Abel was only doing good towards Cain. And then Cain, in his jealousy over righteous Abel's offering being more acceptable, killed his brother. And then came the curse the Lord pronounced on Cain. In verse 11, And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. That is also the curse of the vagabond, by the way. Okay, so let me tell you another story where I found in the Bible that somebody returned evil for good. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Jeremiah had been warning the people of Judah. Then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Jeremiah was a prophet who warned the people of what was coming, as the Lord told him what to say. He was also known as the weeping prophet, which means he cared about what was to befall them and it caused him to weep. And if you are a true prophet, that will happen to you. So Jeremiah was doing good to the people who then began to come against him to return evil to him for the good he had done to them. And come and let us smite him with the tongue. That means let's murder his character. Let's murder his self-esteem. Let's murder his 
reputation with our words. People do that a lot, you know. Verse 19, give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the voice of them that contend with me. Verse 20, shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them, meaning he had prayed for them, and here they were returning evil for good. Okay, I didn't read forward to see uh, what happened to them, but I'm sure it was very bad. Okay, and the most famous story of returning evil for good was Uriah the Hittite and King David. Uriah the Hittite was one of King David's mighty men. He had a group of men that were uh, fantastically able to do things, and they were called his mighties. He was an honorable man, so honorable, in fact, that when the other soldiers could not be home comforted by their wives, he refused to go be comforted by his, even though the king bid him do so. Now, we know the story. We know the reason King David wanted Uriah to go home and lie with Bathsheba was because he himself, King David, had gotten her with child in Uriah's absence when Uriah was away fighting for David's kingdom. King David was a wonderful king the most highly anointed king up to Jesus spoken of in the Bible. But he had a weakness for beautiful women, and he especially had a weakness for Bathsheba because he got into idolatry over her. He wanted her so much, he was willing to break the commandments of God to have her, and he did. She must have been his very idea of beauty. The Talmud states two opinions as to who Uriah was. He was a convert to Judaism, He lived amongst Hittites and so is known as a Hittite, despite his being born Jewish. Either way, he was not actually part of the Hittite nation, since he would have been forbidden to marry Bathsheba had he been a Gentile. The Talmud, by the way, is the oral Jewish law with the subsequent commentaries written on it over the years, probably, I think, by the rabbis. Uriah fought under General Joab's command. I found the following online in my research about David's mighties, as the mighty men were called, of which Uriah was one. David's mighty men were a group of his most elite fighters. There were 37. Later, they were expanded to around 80. Although the list of his mighty men, given in 2 Samuel 23, 8-39, and 1 Chronicles 11, 10-47, are given after David has become king, Many of them may have been the loyal followers who stayed with him when he was fleeing King Saul. Because remember, he had a group of people that went with him and fought for him when he was running from Saul. So Uriah might have been among that group. At the very least, they fought with him. Uriah's closeness to David is illustrated by how close he lived to the palace. He lived very close to the palace. And his position as one of the mighty men at the front battle lines allowed David to formulate and carry out his plot to hide his sin of adultery. It always made me sad that Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, was so devoted. He would have done anything for King David. And he was so honorable, and he only ever did good to King David. So in verse 8, We go on, and David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. Verse 11, And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then 
go into my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Some commentaries mention that because King David gave him a direct command, he could have uh, had him executed for not obeying his command, but David chose not to do that. And I never really thought about it that way. Verse 13, so David tries another tactic. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with his servants of his Lord, with the servants of his Lord, and went not down to his house. Online it says that it was common for warriors in preparation for battle to abstain from sex as a practice of discipline. It probably helped keep them from being unfocused too. One of the other things I find incredibly sad about this story is that poor loyal Uriah actually delivered his own death warrant, never suspecting a thing. And it came to pass in the morning, this is verse 14, that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. So King David, I don't think out of malice in his case, but because he was trying so desperately to hide his sin, had Uriah the Hittite killed with the sword of the enemy. And you have to wonder how Bathsheba felt all, about all, you know, him dying and all that. I'm sure she didn't know he did that. And of course, we think we would never do that. You would never do that, would you? Or would we? We don't know because we weren't in his shoes. The swords of others are not the only weapons we assassinate others with. We use the tongues of others to ruin their reputations whenever we gossip. We use the power of others to hire and fire whenever we talk about someone's work ethic or lack thereof. We use their social power to accept or reject any time we influence someone about another's character. We use many weapons to return evil for good, but we shouldn't. The penalty for returning evil for good is very high. It may feel good in that moment to smear their name or to cast them away from you in some other way, but the price is exorbitant. Let's look at the price King David paid, and let's remember, too, that he was the most highly favored king in the Bible before Jesus. This is another reminder that the rules are the same for everybody, because if David paid the price, you can bet we will. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan was a prophet, unto David, and he came unto him, and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? 
Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with him. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? So the first thing King David lost, something precious he could never get back, was the son born to him and Bathsheba. Anytime you get into idolatry, which is what you get into if you are willing to break the commandments of God, to sin against God, instead of doing what's right, you will always lose something precious to you that you can never get back. That is a spiritual law. King David also lost the peace from his home and palace. When the sword comes to live at your house, there is no peace, because that means he was going to be at war from then on. He suffered the successive violent deaths of at least two of his sons, Amnon and Absalom, not to mention the rape of one of his daughters, Tamar. So Tamar's future was taken, and two of his sons were killed. So their futures were taken too, just like he took Uriah the Hittite's future. Three precious things he could never get back, and I think they were killed with the sword too. Um, So that makes three sons, counting the baby, all irreplaceable. He killed one son. He lost three. Remember that there is always a penalty for idolatry. Because idolatry will always cost you something precious you can never regain, it is very important to always be aware. And King Saul chased David for years just because of jealousy, but for no other reason. And David had never been anything but good to Saul. So David would not turn and kill Saul when he had the chance, and he could have because God's anointing was on Saul. God had anointed Saul to be king, which means a part of God's spirit was on Saul. So if King David had attacked Saul, he would have, in effect, been attacking God. If you attack God's anointed, he considers it a personal attack on him. So David would not compromise what he believed was right in the instance of Saul, but he fell so hard for Bathsheba that he was willing to compromise for her and to sin against God. That is the very definition of idolatry, y'all. What God spoke to him, 2 Samuel 12, 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, 
I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, which means your own people will turn on you. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. 2 Samuel 16, 22, So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. What God spoke to him was fulfilled right there. So the price for King David's disobedience and idolatry was very high. Just losing the son he and Bathsheba had would have been a lot, but he lost far more, far more. Our sin is unfaithfulness to God, and it hurts him. And there is a price to pay when we transgress the commands he has given us. And if we get into idolatry, we always lose something very precious to us that we can never get back. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. A friend of mine, whose life is devoted to interceding for God for hours a day for souls, told me a story about seeing Proverbs 17.13 in action. Some years back, he got a phone call from a former co-worker. A situation had happened, he's retired now, when they worked together for a large, well-known corporation in the Dallas area when an incident happened on the floor where my friend was a supervisor. There were two people in the company that wanted him to lie and blame the incident on a particular person who worked there. But because he was a devout Christian, he said, I can't do that. I'm a Christian, and I can't, I can't lie about somebody. And he was demoted because he refused to play along with their good old boy club, which basically forced him into retirement. So his friend called a few years ago and said, hey. He mentioned that uh, both of those people who tried to force him to lie have since had strokes that were so bad it forced them into retirement. So, you know, you got to remember, when you come against God's people, God's going to come against you. And when you return evil for good, destruction's coming to your house. Evil is coming to your house. Years ago, there used to be a commenter that commented a lot on JPH. He was probably the senior commenter named Rick. He has since gone home to be with the Lord. May he rest in peace. When I did a podcast about returning evil for good, so he was, I contacted him and said, can I share those stories? Because those are really, really good illustrations. He said, sure, no problem. So I want to share them with you. One day, his uh, bookkeeper came over to his office. And she said, hey, I finished the books. She handed him this big stack of papers. There's loose papers all over the place, and she wanted to get paid. And he handed them back to her and said, hey, these need to be inserted in nice, neat presentation covers like the previous year, and also that there were mistakes that needed to be corrected that he saw. So she said, okay, well, I need a $100 deposit because i got to get gas, and i got to go buy the covers, and I don't have any money. So he handed her a check for $100, and she disappeared and did not come back. Months later, after he hired another bookkeeper, the old bookkeeper called up wanting her job back. She told the story of what had happened to her after she did that to him. What happened to her is she said she was in the hospital all of that time with a flesh-eating disease that they could not find a cure for, and she had almost died. Keep in mind that we are in the era of Judgment Day, in case you haven't heard of anything like that happening before. 
And God is trying very hard to finish the refining of his people so they do not have to stay behind for the great tribulation. Because I promise you, you do not want to be here for that because it will be the worst refining in the worst of conditions, okay? When big earthquakes and all that kind of stuff is happening is not when you want to be going through the refining fire. Can I just tell you that? So I think that the hammer may drop a little harder right now when people are returning evil for good. I'm just saying. Okay, so then, not too long after that, he made a deal with his woodcutter. Now, Rick lived in Alaska, so they cut a lot of wood up there, I guess. So he made a deal with his woodcutter to trade this gun and some stuff that went with the gun for two cords of wood. And so he handed him the rifle. He showed him all the parts, all the stuff that went with it, the receipts for how much he paid for it. Uh, he let him look at everything, showed him the, ammo, the boxes of ammo, all of that so that he could see, you know, what was in the deal for two cords of wood. And the guy goes, yeah, I'll make that trade because I'd really like to have that gun. So they agreed. They went their separate ways. The wood was delivered, and he gave him the gun and all the stuff that went with it, and he left. A few days later, the woodcutter calls him up and is griping about the gun, said he got a bad deal. That He said, this gun's not even worth the pawn shop value of that wood. Well, he had a chance to look over all that stuff before he made the trade, right? And so Rick took it to the Lord, and he asked for mercy over the situation. He said, Lord, I didn't mean him any harm, but I'd like to go the extra mile and give him a gift or something to, you know, put a smile back on his face. And he said, will you please orchestrate a follow-up meeting so I can do something nice for him? And so some days later, the man called him back and said his house had just burned down with everything he owned in it including his wood business, his truck, his saws, and his guns, leaving him to live in his car. And I'm thinking that of all the places you don't want to live in your car, Alaska is probably way up on that list. So Rick asked him, he said, what do you need? Can I help you out some way? And he said, I could sure use the sleeping bag. And I knew Rick well enough to know that he gave him the sleeping bag or went out and bought him one because that's who Rick was. He was a good man. So let me tell you another story. This is, oh, I still remember this. Many years ago, well over a decade ago, I was engaged to a man and planning my wedding. And one day, out of the blue, he told me he did not think we should get married. And I was completely in shock. I did not see, I was planning the wedding. Y'all, I didn't see that coming at all. And now I know I'm not supposed to be remarried anyway, so praise God, but I didn't realize that then. I had not studied the word where I should have before making that plan. So anyway, I ended the relationship. The guy turned out to be a liar, and I'm pretty sure a cheater too, judging by what happened shortly afterwards. I had been very devoted to him and had treated him really, really good. He had treated me, well, less than wonderful. When I broke off the relationship, I don't know why he thought I would stay in it after he told me that. I don't know about y'all, but I've never been one to hang around where I'm not wanted. And he made it abundantly clear he didn't want me, so I ended it. But you know how it goes. You see a person's true colors when a relationship is ending and they no longer have anything to gain from you. That's when you see who they really were the whole time. To this day, I still praise God I did not marry him. But when the relationship ended, I was really grieved. I almost couldn't eat for like a week or two. I was going to sleep one night and I was praying for him as he had told me he had gotten some very bad news. Bad news to the tune of a letter from the IRS that he owed $18,000. 
for some previous year where he had not paid any taxes. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I have empathy for that, even if he did break my heart. So I'm praying for him, and suddenly the Lord said, do not pray against my judgments. And I was like, Lord, I didn't know that's what that was. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I stopped. I stopped. I stopped. Not long after that, less than a year later, he was working. He was a mechanic. He was working on a car, and the gas tank blew up, and he got burns all down his arms and on part of his face. The place he worked for burned down which was his best friend's business, and it was because of the gas tank he was working on, and his best friend did not have any insurance on the place, so he lost everything. And I don't know how many customers' vehicles were destroyed along with that, so there may have been lawsuits too. I don't know. Within a year, he married some other woman, and she divorced him six weeks later. That's a whole lot of destruction for returning evil for good, I think. These are just the things I know about that happened to him. I know God well enough to know there was more. The Lord just does not take it well when you mistreat one of his children that has only done good to you. I'm just saying. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. So we can see from these few stories that to return evil for good is a very bad idea. And I want to mention something here. Returning evil for good does not just mean some friend you think has done you wrong. Returning evil for good will have the same effect if the person you do it to is your spouse, your parent, your child, your coworker, or somebody you don't even know. Somebody you talk to at a customer service center. I mean, if you just decide to take your bad stress level out on them, guess what? You just returned evil for good if they were being nice to you anybody. The rules are the same no matter who it is. Please remember that. And sometimes we return evil for good thinking someone has slighted us or done something they really have not done. I've had that happen to me before. I'm sure you have too. Satan can work in people's minds and make them think things that are not true. He will try to make people think that, you know, maybe we wronged them or something like that so that they will strike out at us. And he might try to do that with us to cause us to strike out at somebody else. Don't do it. Don't do it. So let's talk for a minute about how we are supposed to act when we think that we've been done wrong. Y'all remember those scriptures in the Bible that say, you know, if you've got ought against somebody, go to them. Uh, and tell them in person, this would definitely apply here. If you think somebody's done you wrong, go to them and, and give them a chance to defend themselves or make it right or say, hey, that's not what I meant by that at all. It, they may not have meant what you thought. Joyce Meyer used to say that 90% of the time somebody hurts our feelings, they did not mean to. So that says a lot, don't it? And the other thing is the Lord tells us everything we need to know in his word, how to act, how to react. It's all in there, and it's all to protect you. The commandments are not just made-up ideas. They are your protection if you will follow them. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. In other words, treat everyone the same. Be not wise in your own conceits. Okay, let me stop for a second. The Lord is showing me in my spirit. There's someone, there's a woman, I think you're a middle-aged woman, and you think somebody has done something really, really wrong to you. You think they've talked about you or something like that. I don't know if this is in your workplace or where it's at, 
and you are planning a horrendous revenge for them. And the Lord says to tell you they didn't do that, that what you think was done was not done, and you're about to make a horrible mistake. You need to go to him in prayer, but he says they did not do what you think they did. They didn't do anything, actually. But something made it appear, or Satan told you that they did, and you're planning this big, you know, drawn-out revenge for something that never happened. And when you do that, if you carry out that revenge, you're returning evil for good. And he said, the effect on your life will be, the word he's using is devastating. You need to go to, go to the Lord in prayer about that. You're fixing to make a terrible mistake. Okay. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't think you know everything. Don't give in to those prideful thoughts. And remember where prideful thoughts come from? They come from the devil. Is that who you want to be running with? If you're running with the devil, guess what? You're not going to get the blessings of the Lord. You're going to get the punishments of the devil. Don't give in to those prideful thoughts, and you'll avoid a whole lot of trouble on yourself just by doing that. Okay, let's keep going because Romans chapter 12 has a lot to say on this subject. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That means do not pay evil back for evil. Do what's right, being mindful that people are watching you for the Christian response, by the way. They are watching you to see if you will do the right thing, if you really believe what you say you believe, if you really are a Christian or you just say you're a Christian, okay? Because they want to know if you're real, if you're honest and truthful, or if you're not. Show them the right response and you honor God. Show them the wrong one and you just honored the devil. Don't think that you will honor Satan and call yourself a Christian, and God will not pay you back for that, okay? Let's be real clear on that. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, meaning for your part, live peaceably with all men. This means if you can, work it out and live at peace with everyone. There are times when you cannot do that, but it should not be every time. If it is every time, then you need to look in the mirror at the common denominator in these situations and figure out why you are always fighting with people. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Let me tell you all something. I'm not a psychologist, but I used to study psychology because it interested me and human behavior interested me. Some people go around getting into fights, getting into arguing, starting strife with everybody their whole lives when they're an adult because something happened to them when they were a child. They're just blaming the whole world and hating on everybody for no reason. When you do that, you're returning evil for good to some of the people because everybody did not do you wrong, okay? And if you're not returning evil for good, you're returning evil for evil, and God says don't do that either. So either way, you're in sin. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Suit yourself. Give place means to leave room. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. That's God speaking. I will repay, saith the Lord. Give place means leave room for God to do what is his and only his right to do, to repay evil. We are not without sin, so we have no right to repay evil. Only he does. If you enjoy repaying evil, then spend your time and your energy doing spiritual warfare. You can beat up demons every day and still be doing what's right. Verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 
Have you ever fed your enemy and watched his response? I've done this before, y'all. It is an incredible feeling because when you do that, you're overcoming evil with good. And sometimes it breaks the evil spirit operating in them. It won't break a Jezebel because she has no feelings and she refuses to be broken, but it will break through a wall of hurt and pride if that's what's causing them to act ugly. Verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we don't know what's in a person's soul when they do evil to us, but the Lord wants us to give a righteous response and let him, the only truly righteous judge, decide how they should be repaid. He knows why they did what they did to you, and he knows what kind of payback they really deserve, and we don't, and he is so much better at it than we are anyway. And he is repaying evil faster than ever now because of the lateness of the hour that we live in. We all know people who just thrive on revenge. They are angry, prideful people who just love to show the power they can wield to pay you back, even if you did not do what they think you did. I have an ongoing situation in my life from decades ago, a Jezebel spirit that just refuses truth, refuses salvation, and is intent on my destruction. God has protected me, and that is the only reason I am still here and able to do these podcasts, and I praise him often for that because many attempts have been made. I moved to Arkansas because the Lord sent me the message, flee to the mountains, you are in danger. So I prayed several times in the presence of the Lord for where I was supposed to go, and every single time he showed me the Ozarks of northern Arkansas. The urgency was very strong as I packed as fast as I could and did everything possible to find a house to rent. That was a very hard move, can I just tell you that. Interstate moving, moving from one state to another is hard work, very hard work. So I just want to tell you, because I found out when I, after I moved that that person came after me again. When I'm talking to you about not paying someone back who hurts you, please understand that I live every day holding back from taking revenge, okay? This person wants to and is trying to destroy me and take down JPH and destroy it forever. I have had the chance in my hand to land a devastating blow to that person and I'm talking about serious devastation. I'm talking about you would never even, you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And I would have been completely not in the wrong to do it. I wouldn't have had to do anything wrong to, for it to happen. And I could have shut them down for at least 10 years had I done it. But the Lord is more important to me than feeling like I got somebody back. I am not about revenge. I never have been. You have a lot more peace if you just leave vengeance to the Lord and let him handle things. Even returning evil for evil is wrong for us to do. We are supposed to return good for evil and overcome the evil with good. Remember after Judas turned the location of Jesus over to the Pharisees and all that, and he showed up with all that crowd behind him with swords and staves, and he walked up and he kissed Jesus to show that that was who he was? And Jesus said, Judas... Do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Those enemies will kiss up to you. They sure will. Even when they're stabbing you in the back, they will kiss up to you. But they still who are who they are. Jesus already knew what was going to happen to Judas, and he was nice to him when he did that. He didn't speak unkindly. He didn't step back and go, How dare you after I did all this good for you and I taught you and then you stabbed me? In the... No, he didn't do any of that. He said, Are you betraying me with a kiss? Because Jesus knew what he was doing when he did it. He was pointing out, he said, the one I kiss is the one who's going to be. 
That's Jesus. So that they could take him into custody and crucify him. Jesus already knew all that. And we see how Jesus reacted. When we return evil for evil, we perpetuate the evil and help the devil's work on the earth. We help increase evil. That is not what we are supposed to be doing no matter how much somebody hurt us. And this can be very difficult, but it requires you to control your flesh in favor of a more godly response. And sometimes it's harder than others, y'all. I've been there. This is what it means to crucify your flesh. It means to refuse to let it have what it wants. You make it submit to what God wants instead. And it takes practice. We are supposed to be doing good in the earth, not evil. And we all have our days. So in talking about returning evil for good, let's remember that if we gleefully open the gates of destruction on someone who has done only good to us, even if we think that they have done something bad to us, we are also opening the gates of destruction into our own lives because what you sow, you reap. And it affects not just us, but our children. Those gates may bring the one you disdain sorrow but they will bring you even more sorrow for your sorrow will be long-term when destruction comes to your house and refuses to leave. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. I don't want no evil living in my house, do you? Do you want evil in your house? Evil comes with demons and destruction and all kind of mess. If you do that, you are welcoming evil into your house to stay. You're telling it, come move in with me. That is what you're doing if you repay evil for good. I don't think King David had any idea the day he sent for Bathsheba, knowing he, she was the wife of someone else, that he was throwing wide the gates of destruction into the palace, into his family, because he lost his son Absalom because of that. And on himself, he was a highly honored king, used to having whatever he wanted, and he loved beautiful women, and he wanted Bathsheba. So we need to be very aware and be careful not to return evil for evil, and definitely not for good, because either one's going to get us in trouble. No matter how much it hurts, and we especially need to be careful not to return evil for good or return evil when we think someone has done us wrong. Be careful the lies in your mind that you believe that you have no evidence for, especially when you have no evidence. Because if they really haven't done you wrong, destruction will not ever depart from your house and it does not matter how much you repent. King David repented on his face with fasting. If anybody could have repented before God for that, it would have been David. And if David wasn't granted a reprieve, we definitely won't be. Can I just tell you that? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. If you have an enemy, pray for them and leave them in God's hands. He knows how much punishment they deserve, and he will be sure that it is meted out. I hope this podcast has been a help to you. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas, 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com.
JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Are there areas of sin in your life you just can't seem to overcome, no matter how hard you try? Many people live their whole lives under curses. Without understanding, they can be free. Learn what the scriptures say about curses and why they are still relevant today. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Learn how to defeat every curse through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have the knowledge, you can break curses off your life and start experiencing breakthroughs like never before. In the book Loosed from Chains of Darkness, you will learn the basics of four different types of curses. Loosed from Chains of Darkness is the most comprehensive curse-breaking book on the market today. Get your copy of Loosed from Chains of Darkness by Glenda Lomax, available on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, and audiobook versions. What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book, No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mind, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mind today. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will at some point encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas cost you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook, The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21:32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bondservant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap?